We're going to pray, and then we'll get into uh, Solomon. Uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Father God, we long to be wise in heart, mind, and body, not doubting you or your goodness, not doubting your ability to provide, deliver, or give us good gifts. In the middle of every storm, we pray that our faith in Christ would be our sure foundation and that we would rest with you in the eye of the storm. God, in you there is no lack. You are good, you are great, you are glorious. You are truth and you are love. In you is our greatest hope, and from you we learn the purpose of our lives, to love God and people. Father, some of us are facing trials. We thank you that Jesus is no stranger to our difficulties. That amidst our trials, we ask for the joy of your presence. And that this testing produces perseverance, growth of character, and hope in Christ. If any of us are not in Christ, we pray that your spirit would come live in us, leading, guiding, convicting, and encouraging. God, we lift up our children to you and ask that they would follow. Uh, we pray for those who are in their mother's wombs, that they would be born of full health, and, and uh, even now that you would touch their hearts. We pray for the little ones, that they grow up loving you. We pray for our teens and young adults, that you would strengthen their faith and guide them in their steps. And we pray for the prodigals, that they would return. Father, we lift up our community to you, uh, protect those who cannot protect themselves. We especially lift up DCFS to you, an agency under scrutiny and representing so much pain. Uh, we pray for good leadership, that you would care for the families touched by abuse and trauma. And God, as we open your word, we ask that you would open our eyes, ears, and hearts to your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are continuing a series now on uh, First and Second Kings called uh, Kings and Kingdoms. And uh, last week, we saw how David, King David, was the prototype and the standard for all other kings and how the promises to King David were ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So today, we're learning about Solomon, probably the most well-known king after King David. And what is Solomon famous for? Anybody? I'll go ahead and say it loudly. Wisdom. wisdom. So Wisdom. Anything else? Uh, chasing women, wives. Anything else? Riches, yeah. So wisdom, wisdom, wealth, and wives, really. I mean, that's, that, we're not going to use that for our outline for the message. That's kind of what he's famous for, <laughs> wisdom, wealth, and wives. Um, so uh, he was also the king entrusted to build the temple of God. And uh, three books are attributed to him, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Um, so he is an important king, and somehow Solomon, the king who prayed for wisdom, became foolish in his later years, uh, sowing seeds of destruction in his own kingdom. Have you ever known anyone like that or someone who's done that? Sowing seeds of destruction in the middle of, of what they're building. In 1998, I remember watching the Clinton scandal, amazed that our president uh, would be willing to risk throwing away his influence, his power, and his position just to have a, an affair with a 22-year-old intern. Uh, why would he do that? Sowing seeds of destruction that are going to, to reap uh, terrible things in the midst of an otherwise successful presence. He loved him or hate him. Uh, he was a person of influence, and he really got himself in some hot water. And then over the years, I've seen other people that I respected uh, fall. Some of them have been Christian leaders with uh, fruitful ministries, sowing seeds of destruction that would later uh, blow up 
and destroy their own ministries. Uh, they were throwing away their influence and voice because of moral failures. And then on my bookshelf, there is a book titled Deep Influence, written by a, an important leader who had a moral failure shortly after he wrote that book. He had deep influence, but not in the way that he had thought he would. Um, so when we come back to Solomon, Solomon is sort of a puzzle. Uh, he was the wisest of the wise and uh, and the foolish of fools. Um, he had spectacular successes and horrible failures. And uh, the story of Solomon uh, may be found in 1 Kings, the chapters 1 through 11. So it's a long section. We won't hit all of that, but we'll be hitting some highlights and trying to get a, a, an understanding of his life. So as we look at the life of Solomon, we'll divide it into uh, four areas. Uh, his, first of all, his succession from King David. Um, and secondly, uh, Solomon asked for wisdom. Why don't we put that up if we would there? Uh, you'll have to, there you go. Um, Solomon asked for wisdom. Uh, Solomon uh, builds the temple and then uh, Solomon's downfall. So succession, wisdom, temple, and downfall is where we're going this morning. So imagine getting to know Solomon. You, know, you, you, you get to have like a one-on-one -on -one with him and, and, and what would you ask? And so you ask him about his family and Solomon takes a deep breath. He says, well, first there's dad. My dad was King David. He was a shepherd, became king, had multiple wives, murdered mom's first husband, and then married her and had me. Uh, my mom was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, but when David saw her on top of her house bathing, like, does anybody else think that's weird? Um, he decided he must have her. And then there's my oldest brother from another mother, Absalom, who murdered his brother because he raped his sister, and after that, Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from dad. And you stop Solomon at this point. You say, whoa, 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 too, time out, too much information. Just, let's just fast forward to the point where, where you, know, you become king. What's that look like? Just, we, can't, we can't handle this. So we fast forward there. Solomon's thinking back. He scratches his head and he said, well, my father promised my mother that I would be king. And, uh, but another brother, Adonijah, tried to take the kingdom for himself, but that didn't work out so well for him. Um, you see, dad had me declared king before Adonijah could complete his plans. Now, Adonijah had planned on killing me and, and probably the rest of my family uh, once he became king. So imagine his surprise when I became king. Uh, he was kind of freaked out. But I didn't kill Adonijah, at least not at first. Um, what I said was, and this is 1 Kings 1.52, if he shows himself to be worthy, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground, but if evil is found in him, he will die. So you would think Adonijah would get it, but through intrigue, Adonijah continued to try to be king, he continued to try to get the kingdom, and, uh, and so I killed him. But that wasn't the only guy I killed in, in succeeding uh, with my kingdom. Uh, there were also a couple other guys, Shimei and uh, Joab. Uh, Joab, because he'd murdered people during my father's reign, and Shimei, because he treated my father shamefully during his brief exile. But if I'm being honest here, I also killed them because they were a threat to my kingdom, and dad thought it was a good idea too. Well, before he died, my dad, King David, gave me some advice. And this is in 1 Kings 2, uh, 2 through 4. He said, be strong, act like a man. I thought that was a good advice. I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And then he continued on. He said, observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him 
and keep his decrees and commands and laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And then my dad referenced an old promise that was made to him, and he said, if your descendants watch how they live and how they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, everyone knows that my dad, King David, messed up spectacularly. But he told me that the key to a successful reign as king was this, to live faithfully and passionately to God. Live faithfully and passionately for God. Uh, so despite all his mistakes, I know that David lived faithfully and passionately for God. So you finish this sort of weird interview with Solomon wondering, uh, will he walk faithfully before God with all his heart and soul? So we get to the next section of Solomon's life. Solomon asks for wisdom. So the second part of Solomon's life, he asks for wisdom, and we read about this morning in 1 Kings chapter 3, 15 through 14, when God said to Solomon, what shall I give you? That's the ESV, and the NIV is a little more explicit. Ask whatever you want, and I shall give it to you. That's a great offer. How do we get an offer like that? Does anybody want that? God just says, ask whatever you, know, whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And uh, so we wonder... Um, what, what prompted this offer? And, and I think, you know, if we go back into Scripture, um, God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 that, um, that David said, I want to build a house for you, God. And, and God said, no, I'm going to build you an everlasting house and your descendants are going to rule. And, and this all ultimately points to Jesus, but Solomon's sort of along that line. So there, there's that. Solomon was in the line of David. But secondly, you kind of got to take into consideration the circumstances here. So Solomon's just, uh, just become king, and the first thing he goes and does is he goes and offers like a thousand sacrifices to God. Now, you know, we don't do that sort of thing anymore, but, but what he's doing is saying, I am all in. I am all for you. I, I, I want to worship you. I want to follow you. I want to be faithful. He's, 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 he's listening to, the, to his father's advice. I want to be faithful and passionate for God. And so uh, he gets this, this question from God, ask what I shall give you. Now, what did Solomon ask for? Now, here's where we should pay attention to what Solomon said, because I think it can be a really good paradigm for us in praying. Um, first, Solomon remembered God's faithfulness to David with thanksgiving. Second, Solomon confessed his own inadequacy for the job ahead. He said, who am I to lead these people? And incidentally, that was sort of what Moses said too. And only then did Solomon make his request to God for wisdom and understanding in 1 Kings 3.9, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. So when Solomon made his request to God, he asked for a gift that he could use to bless the people. Uh, this is something that's already on God's heart. Uh, he wanted to have a good and capable leader that would shepherd his people. Now, how is this a paradigm for prayer? Now, think about this. If, if you struggle to pray, sometimes a little bit of structure, and we don't focus on the structure, but it, it can help us in praying. So um, when we think about praying, we can start by remembering God's faithfulness. 
That's what he did. He remembered God's past faithfulness. And incidentally, if you remember something that has, God has done in your life, write it down and remember past faithfulness or faithfulness in Scripture and promises that are made there. It helps us with the future. And then secondly, giving God thanks. Just thanking him. Um, and then third, then Solomon, he confesses his lack. He says, who am I? I, I don't, I'm not able to, to do this job here. And, uh, and that's the point where we just say, okay, God, this is, this is where I'm falling short here, or this is where I've messed up, or this is where I just don't have what it takes for this next step. And only then did Solomon make a request. So that's number four, um, making the request. And that is, uh, is not just on behalf of himself, but it's on behalf of what Solomon believed to be on God's heart already. It was in line with God's will, that request. So God was pleased and not only granted Solomon's request, but also offered to Solomon what he'd not asked for, long life, riches, victory over his enemies. And when the interview was over with God, Solomon worshiped. Now, the question on everyone's mind after Solomon became king was, would he be a good king? Would he be wise? Uh, would this blessing from God of wisdom, how, what form would that take? And that's when we get in this really strange story in 1 Kings 3, 16 through 21. It starts out almost like a joke. Uh, two prostitutes come before the king, and, and you're like, what's going to happen next year? And they tell, they tell this story, and it turns out that um, they lived in the same house. They both had children, fairly, or babies, really close to one another, and one of them rolled over her infant, and it died. I mean, terrible. And then she realized that happened, and put the dead baby at the other woman's breast and took the live baby for herself. When the other woman woke up, she saw that it wasn't her baby. So they come before the king, and, and, the, and the one woman is relating the story, and then the other woman says, no, that's not the way it happened. That was my, the live baby's mine, the dead baby's hers, and she's just making all this stuff up. And they go back and forth, pointing fingers and pointing fingers, and you can just imagine the, the, the talk and everything. And, and, it, and it's a disturbing story anyway, and, uh, and they're, they're before the king. What's he going to do? And uh, so King Solomon said, uh, you know, I know what's fair. Take the baby, cut it in half, and give half to each of the women. And uh, the, the woman, whose baby it was, said, give it, give it to her. You know, that, that's okay. I, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be okay with that. And the other woman said, no, let the baby die. And then Solomon said, give it to the woman who said, give it to her. So he, he used this whole scenario to kind of force these women to show their hearts what, what was really going on. We never learn which woman's which in the story, but what we learn is that Solomon was discerning in personal judgment and personal character, and this is a, just a sample of the way that he handled things. Can you imagine what that would do to our court system? You go before the judge, <laughs> and you know, you have this situation, and then he he says, pull the sword out, you know, and, and we'll, let's, let's decide this thing. And, uh, but anyway, it worked for them. So uh, Solomon was, uh, was making wise decisions. The word got around. Everyone in Israel heard about the king's judgment. They were in awe of the king, realizing that God's wisdom enabled him to judge truly. And then 1 Kings 4 uh, records Solomon appointing officials and organizing his kingdom. And at first, Solomon's rule seems amazing. It's amazing what, what's taking place here in, in the kingdom. 
The territory of Israel grew. Israel and Judah were united. God gave Solomon victory and favor with the surrounding people. His wealth grew. People lived in peace. Trade increased. People came from far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon, including the fabled Queen of Sheba. And 1 Kings 4.20 has a summary statement uh, for the people of Judah and Israel that they ate, drank, and were happy. And then 1 Kings 4.29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people in the east and the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Like, what? In the midst of all the stuff, he's like writing proverbs and songs and everything. And, and uh, my friend, Pastor David Jones, over in Village Church of Barrington, loves to record. He's like, you know, Solomon did not think it a waste of time to get down on his hands and knees and look at the ant and study its movements and what's going on there. Like in the midst of all of his busyness and everything, he's studying the ant. And then he writes in uh, Proverbs 6, 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So somehow Solomon was able to effectively lead, judge, administer, and still have time for ants and write about them. Um, I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Those are great books. Um, and incidentally, the book of Proverbs is, uh, sometimes we read things um, in there and it tells us to do something. And, um, and we were like, well, what category of promise is this? And it's, the book of Proverbs is in general, if you do this, in general, you will get this. This is the way things should go. And in general, this is a good decision because this will occur, but not every time. And then if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's almost like a book of exceptions to you know, all, the, all the things that don't work out that way. And, and uh, so they, they kind of complement one another. And uh, in the Song of Songs, you can read that if you're married. Um, <clears throat> Probably the most important words that Solomon ever wrote are these in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if we want to be wise, we need to have a fear of the Lord. And we say, well, what is that? Well, the fear of the Lord is the proper respect for who God is. Um, the respect a child should have towards their parent a respect, a healthy respect, a healthy fear, not something that incapacitates, but enables and, and realizes, you know, there's, there is, I've got a heavenly daddy, he cares for me, but he's also said some things and I need to listen to it. Um, so to not have that fear is to despise God's wisdom and instruction, and that is the very definition of a fool, to despise God's wisdom and instruction. So the question is, did Solomon fear God? The one who said that's the beginning of wisdom, did Solomon fear God? And the answer is sort of yes and no. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Uh, so let's look at Solomon's brightest moment in fearing the Lord, and then we're going to look at his most foolish failure. Uh, so Solomon's brightest moment was at the building of the temple of the Lord. 
So Psalm 127, attributed to Solomon, in your Bibles it probably says Song of Ascents, it's part of the Song of Ascents, and then it is attributed to Solomon. It starts out with this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up uh, early and late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. So Solomon's brightest moment, his most crowning achievement, is building the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. Uh, King David wanted to build this temple, uh, but God told him, no, you're not the one to build this temple for me. And um, this, this temple would be a, a permanent resting place for the Ark of the Covenant, for God's presence to be in. King David wanted to do that. God said, no, that this task is going to fall to your son. So King David promptly said, okay, let me give you my treasure. And he just gave and gave and gave, and it records you know, what, what David did because he wanted he just wanted to give generously to the Lord and for this project. And so David gave from all his possessions generously. And then the Bible describes Solomon's temple. So uh, inside ceiling, 180 feet, um, I'm sorry, the inside ceiling was 180 feet long, 90 feet wide, 50 feet high. The highest point in the temple uh, that King Solomon built was actually 120 cubits tall. We all know what that is, right? Cubits about a foot and a half. Um, so about 207 feet. And then um, the Jewish virtual library, which I'm sure you were on just yesterday, describes the project. Uh, Solomon spared no expense for the building's creation. He ordered vast quantities of cedar wood from King Hiram of Tyre. The huge blocks of the choicest stone quarried which incidentally, if you go see it today, if you go see the Wailing Wall or something like this, stone is, is amazing. Um, commanded that the building's foundation be laid with hewn stone, the complete massive project he imposed, he imposed forced labor on all his subjects. So things got harder as time went along for Solomon's subjects, drafting people for the work shifts that sometimes lasted a month at a time. Some 3,300 officials were appointed to oversee the temple's erection and Solomon assumed such heavy debts in the building of the temple that he's forced to pay off King of Hiram by handing over 20 towns in Galilee. When the temple was completed, Solomon inaugurated it with prayer and sacrifice and even invited non-Jews to come and pray there. He urged God to pay particular attention to heed their prayers. Thus, all the peoples of the earth will know your name and revere you as does your people Israel. They'll recognize your name is attached to this house I have built. That last part from 1 Kings 8, uh, 43. So uh, that's a huge condensing of 1 Kings um, 5 through 8. That's four different chapters, describes mostly the building of the temple. And, uh, and the brightest moment of the building of the temple is actually at the dedication of the temple. So there's a lot of details that go into the building of the temple. It's amazing. Very cool, but also it can feel sometimes tedious uh, with all the detail. But then we get to the, the inauguration of the temple. And uh, what happens is the ark is brought in the temple, and then the presence of God fills the holy, uh, the holy place, the inner side of the temple, so that the priests can't enter. God goes in. They can't come in. People had physically built this temple, but... God inspired them. God provided and filled the space, true to the words, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So King Solomon, 
says, and is um, just part of his address, he says, Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before him on the throne of Israel, if only your sons play close pay close attention to their way to walk before me as, as uh, you have walked before him. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which I have spoken to my servant David. But will God really dwell on earth? Is he really going to live here? Behold, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, how much less this house I built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to this plea, O Lord my God, listen to the cry and prayer of your servant before this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, this place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of your servant offers towards this place. So Solomon is not saying God is going to be contained in this house. He's saying God is bigger than the universe. This is Solomon, you know, thousands of years ago, Solomon saying God's bigger than the universe. He's bigger than the heavens. He's bigger than all those things. But in some special way, he's going to live in this house. His presence is going to be here. So the people had given generously, even sacrificially. Solomon spent years in this project, but God made it happen. What would people do at the temple? And why do we have this thing? And so Solomon goes on and he talks about um, what might take place at the temple. You know, at the temple, um, there's the presence of God in the, in the most holy place. And before the temple, there's a sacrificial system. Animals are dying um, on behalf of the sins of the people. So there's this idea that somehow God is going to forgive and that blood's required. Um, and we say that that points forward to Jesus Christ. All these things are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But Solomon says, uh, it's sort of this formula. If they repent, save them and forgive. Um, if they repent, save them and forgive if someone sins against their neighbor. So there's like a personal sin that takes place. Uh, if there's some kind of corporate sin and, and, and we as a people mess up and we're defeated by an enemy or we, it, the, it results in famine or exile or any number of things that could happen. If my people turn and repent and look towards this, how, the presence of God, forgive them and restore them. That's sort of the, the uh, message there. In the building of the uh, dedication of the temple, Solomon followed his David's, uh, father David's advice, be strong, act like a man. He walked faithfully before God and served the people. But did he do this with all his heart and soul? And I think that is where Solomon's problems lie. And we get to his downfall here. So he had this bright moment. He built the temple. He understood the sacrificial system actually pointed to, you know, if, if my people turn, then I will forgive them and restore them. Um, he understood that God was bigger than this place. He was bigger than the, the heavens. How could Solomon fall? I mean, 1 Kings 11.4 reads, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of, his, uh, of David, his father. Chapter after chapter, we're hearing about the wisdom of Solomon. He's wise. He's done all these different things. He's, he's, he's been wise in judgment. He's been wise in his administration. He's built wealth. He's built the temple. He's, you know, he's done all these different things, and then he blows it. And all it mentions is some little you know, mention of his wives. And, and the passage that we read today said, well, Solomon had 700 wives and then another 300 concubines, so that's sort of like 1,000. 
Uh, does he even know them all? Probably not. Um, and Solomon failed the David test. Now, this is not the Jesus test. Can you be as righteous as Jesus? This is like David, the guy that murdered and committed adultery and who knows what other sins that David committed. Solomon failed that test. He was not as righteous as David. And he failed that test because he became idolatrous in his old age. He stopped fearing the Lord and he became a fool. So among his other works, Solomon ended up building a place for Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. And he did this for his foreign wives. So basically, his wives, which he had married not because he was attracted to all of them. Uh, he didn't need a thousand of them for that. Um, and not because he's going to have any type of relationship with them. Surely he did with some of them, but this is just way too many for that. Solomon was busy sealing alliances with other countries with these women. So they'd be the daughters of some important king, and, and so that was a, a good chunk of them uh, were married or somehow in his, um, his little wife kingdom or whatever um, for that reason. He was, he was trying to connect things politically. But um, this sort of brings us to, okay, how do we know if, if something's straight or not? You know, if you've got a level to see if it's horizontally right or a, a plumb bob, if you're trying to check it vertically right, how, what are we going to check this against? And um, it turns out Deuteronomy 17 uh, said that someday, Israel, you're going to have a king. And when you do have a king, there's a few simple instructions. So this is Deuteronomy 17, um, verse 16, essentially just says, don't acquire many horses for yourself. Seems kind of weird, but, you know, okay, don't, don't have too many horses. Um, Deuteronomy 17 says, uh, don't acquire many wives. And then it even gives a reason, lest the king's heart be turned away. Well, 1 Kings 4.26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses, and then we just read that he has 1,000 wives. That, that would probably qualify as lots of horses and lots of wives. And then in 18, uh, Deuteronomy 17, 18, it says, he shall not acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. But in 1 Kings 10, 14, said the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, which is about 25 tons of gold. So we know that Solomon also multiplied lots of gold. So those are, those are three prohibitions, basically saying, hey, don't, don't make much of yourself. Don't get caught up in your wealth. It's okay to be wealthy. I blessed you with wealth, but don't get caught up in it. And don't, and don't do exactly what he's doing. Don't try to seal these political alliances and have people, uh, you're, you know, God made us to be in a, a lifelong relationship with one person. And, and, uh, and here uh, it's saying, don't do what he's done. And then there's one thing he's supposed to do. Does anybody know what, what Solomon should have done that he didn't do? He's supposed to write something. I'll give you a hint. He's supposed to be writing something. He's supposed to write out the whole scripture that they knew at that time. The king is supposed to copy it. And then he's supposed to get it checked by a Levitical priest to make sure it's accurate. And then he's supposed to carry that thing with him everywhere. And he's supposed to read it to keep his heart tuned with God. That's the king. He's required to do that. That's what he is supposed to be doing. 
But instead, Solomon um, sowed seeds of destruction early on. He married those women over the course of time. He multiplied those horses over the course of time. Uh, and when he, in the beginning, he wanted to do these things all for the people, but in the end, the people became enslaved by him. And so, uh, sort of like Jesus' parable where, with the weeds, where their good seed is being sown, and then an enemy sowed weeds alongside them. They all grew up together, and, 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 it's, and it's a problem. What are we going to do? The problem's epidemic. Leaders fall from divided hearts. And this problem is not just Solomon's problem. It's symptomatic of the whole human race. Um, the, the king was supposed to copy God's word by hand, prove by priest, carry the book, read it as long as he lived. And why? Well, it was so that he would fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it's a continuation of wisdom, to be in a right relationship with God and fear him and love him and respect him so that his heart would be faithful and passionate for God, just as his father David had told him. So it's important that we understand what's coming up next, next Sunday, is the divided kingdom. And this is, God said, hey, you blew it, Solomon, uh, because uh, you've done what you've done and you've introduced a lot of sin into this nation. I'm going to tear all the tribes except for one from your hand. And this is going to result in the divided kingdom. And we'll talk about Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all these things. But one thing that we need to know now is the divided kingdom was a result of the king's divided heart. Solomon blew up everything that he'd done, not completely, but significantly, because of the seeds that he had sown all along the way, seeds that were not faithful to God. And we do that. Sometimes we sow those seeds, and maybe we're sowing them right now, and later they grow up like weeds in our garden, and they're a problem for us. So the question is, is our heart divided? Are we sowing the seeds of destruction for that which we value the most? Um, Psalm 86, 11. Teach your, me your way, O Lord, that I might rely upon your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. So the fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of wisdom, and what we need is a long obedience in the same direction. What we need is to remain faithful to that which we learned at first. And it may be that we come along on a path, and we're like Solomon, we're like, realize, oh my gosh, what I've done in the past is blowing up things that are taking place now. And, and David, King David, did that several times. And, and everybody does. And what King David says, yeah, I blew it. I own it. I am turning from that, Lord. Forgive me. I'm going to get back on the path. Because the, the, the standard is not perfection. The standard isn't that we did everything right. We sowed only good seeds and no weeds. All of us are sowing weeds to some degree. But the standard is returning to God every single time, asking for forgiveness and staying on that path. On uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11, and, uh, and this I'd like to um, sort of um, use to interpret all of this, it talks about no one being able to lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed 
with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives his reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be saved, even though only one escaping the flames. And what happened to Solomon? Is Solomon in heaven? I mean, of course, you know, none of us are God. We can't say exactly definitively where Solomon is, but I think, I think this describes Solomon. I think his, his heart became divided, um, and, uh, but I think he was still, he still had a faith in God, but he, he messed up spectacularly. And I think a lot of Solomon's work burned up as a result of that. And so I guess our prayer this week, if we're going to learn something from, uh, from this passage is just, God, give me an undivided heart. And if there's some division in me, some seeds that I've been sowing that are unhelpful, help me to identify those things and to, and to pull up those weeds as soon as I can or turn from my sin and, and go the right way. Give me an undivided heart. Help me to have wisdom and not be a fool. All right. Now the last little part here is some homework. Uh, if you would like to, um, the passage that we're reading here is from 1 Kings uh, chapters 1 through 11. So that's Solomon. Next week is pretty much chapter 12. So if you want to read um, one or all of those, that's great. Uh, and then other great things to read is dipping into Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or Song of Songs. But, but I, I encourage you to do that. Dip into some of these things. There's a lot to be learned from this passage. Um, let me uh, pray for us, and, and uh, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, uh, we thank you that you were good. Uh, we thank you for David's advice. Be faithful and passionate for God. Be a man, be a woman, after God's own heart. Lord, if any of us have sown those seeds and perhaps we identify those things, I pray that you would help us to turn. And especially, Lord, that you would help us to be restored. God, you are good, and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen.